Part 4, Chapter 4 of The Gambler by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 4, Chapter 4. Lady Frances Hope's house was situated in Curzon Street, and thither Clodagh departed shortly after eight o'clock. Again she chose a hansom as a means of conveyance, for as yet there had been no question of her procuring a carriage of her own and again she became conscious of the peculiar stimulus, the peculiar power, that the great tide of London life exercises upon its observers. The last glimmering of daylight was lingering in the sky, as the cab passed up Knightsbridge, but already the houses and hotels were brilliantly lighted, and the stream of diners and theatre-goers was forming into its nightly procession. During that short drive she encountered many glances, Chances of interest, criticism, or curiosity, from women well-dressed as herself, and bound upon some such mission as her own. Chances of sharp speculation, or sudden admiration from men, driving west or southward. And something of London's immensity, something of London's secrecy, came to her in those brief moments. She was stirred by the fact that has moved many another dweller in the vast city. The fact that every day, every night, some thousands of lives brush our own in a passing glance, in a stray word, in a chance touch, and then drift on into mystery, never to reappear. Her thoughts were confused and excited as she descended from the cab and entered the Curzon Street house. But on the moment that she stepped into the hall, her dreams were banished. A door on her right opened, and her hostess hurried forward and kissed her effusively. "'You dear thing!' she cried. "'Wasn't it abominable of me?' "'Was the arrival desperately weary? "'Come up to my bedroom. "'The men haven't come yet. "'What ages it seems since we said good-bye at Nice. "'How are you?' "'She talked in her masterful voice, "'without waiting for a reply, "'until they entered the bedroom. "'There her maid, who was busying herself at the dressing-table, "'came forward to assist Clodagh. "'But Lady Frances checked her at once. "'Mrs. Burbank won't need you, Rees. "'I'll take off her cloak.' Rees moved obediently towards the door, but there she ventured to pause for a moment. "'I hope you had a comfortable journey, madam,' she said. Clodagh, invariably gracious to her inferiors, turned to her warmly. "'Thank you, Rees, an excellent journey, but I'm glad to see everybody look so well.' She added the last with a little smile, to which the maid responded as she closed the door. Lady Frances laughed. "'You have bewitched, Rees,' she said. "'But you do that as you eat or sleep, by instinct. "'Let me look at you.' "'She laid her hands on Clodagh's shoulders "'and turned her towards the light. "'You've been playing every night since I left you,' "'she said with decision. "'Clodagh laughed with some constraint. "'And losing?' "'Clodagh flushed. "'I have no luck,' she said shortly. "'Then almost at once she turned away, "'freeing herself from her companion's detaining hands. "'Lady Frances,' she said in a different tone. "'Please don't think I forget about—about—' about, she hesitated. "'I get my first allowance at the beginning of July, you know.' She paused, and Lady Frances gave a seemingly careless laugh. "'Oh, my good child, don't speak of it. Any time, any time.' "'You are very kind. I have hoped to settle up on my return, but the last week was shocking. But everything will be right at the beginning of July.' She walked over to the dressing-table and looked at herself in the long glass. "'What a sweet house you have!' she said suddenly, in an entirely different voice. 
Lady Frances had been watching her with a close scrutiny. But now, with a good deal of ready dissimulation, she threw off her attentive manner, and answered in Clodagh's own light tone. "'Yes, it is a nice little place. But what about the flat? Isn't that perfect?' "'Yes. You are not enthusiastic?' "'Oh, I am disappointed.' Clodagh turned from the mirror. Oh, "'Forgive me,' she said impulsively. "'Of course the flat is perfectly sweet and exactly what I want. "'It was just the arriving alone that made it seem a little—a little—' "'Of course, of course, poor dear child. "'But but wait, wait till you begin to know people.' Clodagh's expressive face brightened. "'Yes, and, and when Nance—when my sister comes back— "'Oh, I must enjoy myself. I must be happy.' "'Why should you be anything else?' "'When have you heard from your sister?' "'The day I left Nice, a most dear letter. "'She's having a heavenly time in America. "'The Escorts are such delightful companions. "'The girl is seven months younger than she is, "'and the boy is seven years older. "'Curious difference, isn't it?' "'Very. "'But I didn't know there was a boy. "'I thought it was only the school friend and the mother. "'Oh, no, there's the brother, Pierce. "'Nancy's letters are full of him.' Lady Frances gave a little half-sarcastic laugh. <laughs> then Nancy's presumably still learning, though she has left school. Something in the utterance of the words made Clodagh flush. Don't, she said involuntarily, don't. Nancy's is different from me. Then, as her hostess remained silent, she turned and looked at her. Don't be offended, she added. It's only that I can't have anything cynical said of Nancy. I know you don't understand— "'It seems that because I sent her to America I don't really care.' She halted again. "'But I don't make you understand. I don't seem to make anyone understand.' Her voice dropped slightly, and Lady Frances, as though fearing some emotional outburst, broke in hastily. "'My dear child, my dear Clodagh!' Then she paused, for the door opened, and her maid Reese reappeared. "'Excuse me, my lady, but Lord dear has to miss a Serico in the drawing-room.' "'Frank's thought your ladyship would wish to know.' "'Quite right. Thank you, Rees. "'Toda, are you ready?' Toda's face was slightly flushed from her momentary outbreak as she left the bedroom. Descending the stairs, Lady Frances moved to her side and passed her hand through her arm. And at the touch, a sharp repulsion to this friendship, this fair-weather, effusive, superficial friendship, surged through her. And yet where was she to find a firmer sentiment? Where in all the world was there a being who had any real need of her? Her aunt? Her cousin? She knew instinctively that their world and her own were inevitably sundered. Nance? Had not even Nance, the little Nance of childish days, already begun to gather interests of her own, to form her own friendships? No, there was no niche that especially claimed, that especially needed her. At this point, in her hasty and confused speculations, the door of the drawing-room was thrown open, and, after an interval of two years, she saw Lord Deerhurst and Serico. More than once she had pictured the meeting with the old peer, but, as is invariably the case, the reality was much more vivid than the imagination had been. Deerhurst came forward with the stiff, courtly manner that brought back with almost painful clearness the balcony of the Venetian palace the Venetian salon with its polished floor and glittering chandeliers, the Venetian night-music borne across the waters. It all surged back in a wave of memory, first a pang of pain, then a pang of reckless self-contempt. After all, who cared? What did her action, her manner of living, 
even her existence, matter to any living soul. She held out her hand and allowed him to bow over it. He bowed over it for a long time. Then he raised his head and looked at her. His pale, inscrutable face was as wax-like as ever. His eyes were as cold, as penetrating, as old in their look of supreme wisdom. "'So we meet again,' he said. "'My hope has been fulfilled.' For a moment Clodagh stood, permitting him to clasp her fingers and look into her face, while she herself made no effort to speak. Then, as if suddenly conscious of something strange in the position, she freed her hand with a little nervous laugh, and turned to where Serico was waiting to greet her. With a smile and a gesture of easy familiarity, the younger man came forward. "'Welcome to England,' he said. "'Only yesterday a man at my club was telling me of the prettiest woman on the Riviera, this mere. "'I won't be personal, but the lady was at Monte Carlo only a week ago, "'turning other people's heads and emptying her own pockets with the most delightful impartiality.' Clodagh laughed, but this time without embarrassment. "'Be as personal as you like,' she said carelessly. "'It wasn't my fault if luck was dead against me.' Deerhurst came forward slowly. "'But the turned heads?' he asked. She smiled. "'Was it my business to put them straight again? I'm not a surgeon.' They all laughed, and at that moment dinner was announced. Lady Frances Hope touched Clodagh's arm. "'Lord Deerhurst will play host, Clodagh. Val, I consign myself to you.' Serico moved to her side with his usual indolent ease, and Deerhurst offered Clodagh his arm. They had to traverse the length of a large double drawing-room before the dining-room was reached, and during that passage he found opportunity for a whispered word or two. As they moved forward he avoided looking at Clodagh, but his arm slightly and unmistakably pressed hers. "'Am I not forgiving to be so glad to see you?' he murmured in his thin, cold voice. I waited on the terrace until twelve o'clock that night in Venice. Involuntarily her face flushed. His voice was as potent as ever to express infinitely more than the words it uttered. I, I wish to forget Venice, she said. He stole a swift glance at her. Then shall we make a compact? Shall we forget it jointly? She said nothing. Again, almost imperceptibly, his arm pressed hers. Why try to ignore me? I am in your life. The words were few and very simple, so simple and so few that they conveyed a peculiar impression of power, of weight. A faint, half-comprehended chill fell upon Clodagh, such a chill as had fallen upon her once before in the Abati restaurant when Deerhurst had drunk to their next meeting as host and guest. She laughed suddenly with a quick nervous lifting of the head. Oh, but it is life itself that I wish to ignore. Again he glanced at her, very swiftly, very searchingly. "'So be it,' he said. "'I take that as a challenge to life and to me.' At the conclusion of dinner that night the little party of four sat down to bridge, and an hour after midnight Clodagh rose from the card-table, a loser to the extent of over forty pounds. End of Part 4 Chapter 4